Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fake TV Critic, a podcast where I discuss the week's biggest TV news headlines, recap and analyze some of my favorite shows, and let you know what you should be watching. Okay, I'm starting with this. The biggest news story of the week I am not going to talk about because we're, we're exhausted, okay? Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars last week. We all know what happened. We've all read the hot takes. We've all read the cold takes. We've all, it's been, every single news source has been reporting on this from top to bottom over the past week. Adding my opinion does nothing. No one cares. It, and on, it doesn't matter what the hell I think. I just, I, it does not matter. I, I don't think any of you care what I have to say or what I think I don't even care what I think about it so that happened I'm we're moving on (laughs) so other things that happened this week um Estelle Harris who played George Costanza's mom on Seinfeld sadly died this week I think she was 93 or 94 93 um much beloved character actress who didn't get started in TV until she was, I think in her sixties, um, played George's mom on Seinfeld, like I said, and also was the voice of Mrs. Potato Head in the Toy Story movies. And she was, uh, oh God, what was the show that she was on? Uh, Night Court. She was on Night Court as well. Um, and then she was on The Sweet Like of Zach and Cody. Um, she was, by all accounts, a wonderful person all around. And I mean, that voice, iconic, will live on forever, Seinfeld. And then, you know, children will grow up with her for generations to come as Mrs. Potato Head. And also, this excited me. Um, FX and Ryan Murphy finally announced the second season of Feud, which... I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast or not, but I had a whole ass conversation um, a few months ago when impeachment was happening. And this is what I think I might've talked about on the podcast when I covered impeachment. Regardless, I had a whole ass conversation um, with someone when impeachment was airing about how I wanted another season of Feud. And the first season was the one that was um, Betty Davis and Joan Collins. Joan Collins? Why does that? No, it's not Joan Collins. Joan Crawford. Oh my God. Again, I record very early in the morning on Sunday and sometimes my brain just does not like to work. Um, Regardless, it was the feud with first season was uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and the, you know, heyday of Hollywood feud between the two of them. I loved that season. I thought it was great TV. And they were supposed to do a season two with... um, Diana and Charles and they ended up scrapping it because they thought it was like too soon or too disrespectful or whatever. And then meanwhile, since then we've gotten that wretched Diana, the musical and the Spencer movie and all that other shit that's been going on, like the documentary series and stuff they've been airing about Diana for the past year. So regardless, they finally announced the second season. Now feud was renewed for season two over five years ago. It was renewed for season two before season one aired in like February of 2017. It was renewed for 
season two. And now we're finally getting around to actually making it. And it's going to be called Capote's Women. And it's going to be written by John Robin Bates, who is a Pulitzer Prize finalist for Other Desert Cities, um, the play. And I think he also won, I think that may have won the Tony. I think it might have won the Tony. I totally forget. And he was also a Pulitzer Prize finalist for A Fair Country, which was another play that he wrote. Um, and he is going to be writing, um, he's going to be writing every episode. He also wrote the Stonewall movie that everyone hated except for me from 2015. Um, he did that NBC series, The Slap, um, about the the guy who slaps a child. It's not, um, and it's not his parent or something like that. I, I watched the whole series and I completely forget what it's about. Um, and it's going to be directed, sorry, I lost my train of thought. It's going to be directed by Gus Van Sant, who directed uh, Milk, the Harvey, the Harvey Milk movie with Sean Penn. And he also directed um, Goodwill Hunting. And what else has he done? My Own Private Idaho. I feel like there's got to be a million other things. I just can't think of them. Oh, the Psycho reboot he did, or not reboot, remake. Yeah, he's done a lot of shit. Um, but regardless, it's so all eight episodes are going to be directed by him, and all eight episodes are going to be written by John Robin Bates, and Ryan Murphy is going to produce it, and then Naomi Watts is going to star as Babe Paley, who was one of Truman Capote's uh, friends and confidants, and it's going to focus on the fallout of a story that Truman Capote wrote based on the lives of a lot of these women who lived in, you know, upper class socialite circles of New York. And it's based on a, a book that I'll probably read at some point because I like to do that, especially with these uh, Ryan Murphy shows for some reason. I don't know why. Only for these, though. I never end up liking books. I don't know why I do it, but regardless. Um, and they're currently looking for, uh, like, the deadline article mentioned that they're on a worldwide search for an actor to play Truman Capote. And that is very confusing to me because Leslie Jordan exists and is already in Ryan Murphy's stable. So the only thing that I can think is that either they asked Leslie Jordan and he turned it down or he's contractually obligated to call me cat on Fox and can't film it, or it doesn't like line up with the schedule for filming call me cat, which could potentially be renewed for a third season. It's not doing well, but is still doing best of all Fox's sitcoms. But I would hope they would find a way to work with him because Leslie Jordan has already played Truman Capote. Um, he was in a play about Truman Capote and Andy Warhol, which uh, did not end very well because Leslie Jordan had to leave the play because he couldn't memorize all the lines. <laughs> um, but regardless, he already played Truman. He's natural. He's from the South. He's teeny tiny. He's flamboyant. Um, I don't, and this could honestly be like the thing for Leslie Jordan. Like I, I think Leslie Jordan is very famous and became very famous over the course of the pandemic for his uh, how y'all doing, what y'all doing uh, videos on Instagram. But I feel like this could be the thing that, like, he potentially gets taken seriously for. Because I think we all think of him as, like, you know, a little tiny gay clown. And he is that. 
proudly, um, but could be so much more. And I think that this could potentially prove that. And I would like to see that happen for him. But regardless, um, Capote's Women is going to be season two of Feud. I'm very much looking forward to this. And that is supposed to film sometime this year. So we'll probably see it on FX and or Hulu uh, sometime in 2023. So that's that's exciting to me personally. <laughs> All right, and renewal and cancellation news this week. Chesapeake Shores, which is the flagship series on Hallmark Channel, was renewed for a final season this week. ABC renewed The Good Doctor and The Rookie, and CBS renewed NCIS, NCIS LA, and NCIS Hawaii. And then ABC canceled a whole bunch of its summer game shows, including... Um, Match Game, which was hosted by Alec Baldwin, so that's not entirely surprising considering all the shit that's been going down with uh, the investigation into the manslaughter on the set of Rust that he was involved in. And then they also are getting rid of Card Sharks and Celebrity Dating Game, and then The Hustler, which is that Craig Ferguson show. All right, coming up this week on the podcast, I am talking about RuPaul's Drag Race. I haven't checked in with the mothership since the season premiere, so let's get into that a little bit. And some other stuff. Can you tell I haven't decided what it's going to be yet? Even though this podcast comes out in less than 24 hours? <laughs> so stay tuned for whatever I have planned for you. You know what? Let's just do it. Let's just talk about Drag Race. Um, <laughs> I, there, I... I, I talk about Drag Race all the time. I haven't talked about the mothership in a few months. But um, I, uh, I'm i not invested in a whole lot of TV at the moment. So I'm going to be talking about a lot of the same shit that I always talk about. But that's okay because everyone's watching Drag Race, right? So um, if you listen to the episode about the premiere, which I posted back in January... Um, I was not very high on season 14, still not really, um, but I have changed a lot of my opinions about the queens themselves. Like if you go back and listen to that episode, I did not like Willow Pill, um, neither did my friend Will, who did the episode with me, and we kind of thought that she was very much like a filler queen, like, a, oh, this is a quirky weirdo, she's going to be gone soon, um, and I've completely kind of turned around, and I... And want Willow to win it all. I love Willow Pill. And she's still around. That's great. Um, and other queens that are still here, we are finally, finally, finally at a top five. Guys, I if you're watching this season of Drag Race, I can't imagine there's anybody who feels differently this season has already been 13 episodes, 13 episodes. And we just got down to a top five and we're only just now at a top five because there was a double elimination this week. There have been, I want to say, I don't know, 12 out of 13 episodes where no one goes home. <laughs> like I mean, obviously that's an exaggeration, but like barely, there was a stretch of episodes where I'm going to say it was like three in a row. I think it was three in a row. I'm thinking about it as I'm not three in a row. 
but there was okay episode set i'm gonna i'm gonna just look it up while i'm doing this no one went home okay so first of all i let's start at the beginning they eliminated people in episodes one and two orion's story went home episode one diabetti went home episode two they brought them back in episode three so no one went home in the first two episodes really because they all came back in episode three then no one went home in episode seven nine ten or twelve so out of 13 episodes we got zero eliminations that stuck in episodes one two seven nine ten and twelve that's six episodes there have been 13. so in half the episodes of the season queens have not gone home or been eliminated let's say that's fucking insanity like i understand that the ratings for the show are good and it's a very popular show and it has lots of social engagement so they want to milk it but like i think it was season eight the season bob one i'm pretty sure it was only eight episodes like total and we had almost that many episodes this season of just non-eliminations it's fucking wild like and also why like there are some seasons where i completely understand it or i I would have understood it and I wish they would have done it. Um, but this is not one of them to me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just soured on this season, but like this top five is a good top five. The top five is Angeria, Bosco, Diabetti, Lady Camden, and Willow Pill. And that's a good top five. They are strong competitors. Um, Lady Camden has been fun all season. Diabetti is clearly there because it's, she's getting the villain edit. Um, Bosco, I'm not excited by, but has the most wins right now. And um, they've been tr like trying to give a storyline to and make the narrator of the season. And I know like a lot of people on the internet like her, so that's wonderful. And Angeria, who started strong and has really faded into the background quite a bit. Um, so like it's a good top five are there people who were eliminated who i wish would be there instead not really except for cornbread who went home because of an injury i can't really there's no really anybody else that i think should be there that's not like there's no really unjust elimination and how can there be when there's been so few um so like this is a fine top five um this past episode was a double elimination deja and george just went home and like to me it was kind of a long time coming for both of them especially for georges who was in the bottom like i want to say like four or five times five times five times i think that's just so many it's too many it's just too many and then deja who's been like solidly middle of the road even like kind of toward the bottom um but then did so well in snatch game that i think she compared especially compared to everyone else that i think she kind of threw a wrench into production's plans of like okay we've exhausted deja's storyline um and then she did so well i was like oh shit, i guess we got to keep her around for a little bit and then there was just georges who has never done well in challenges and even that she won a challenge but i was like okay choices um i didn't think that she should have won and i mean i you're not unjust if you forgot that she won a challenge because the rest of her run on the show has been all bottom placements pretty much and it's just absurd anyway 
and she keeps getting saved because she's a great lip syncer and like she is but to me there's more to lip syncing than just like dancing and performing like that is definitely a huge part of it but like it needs to be appropriate for the song and i don't think she's always appropriate for the song which is why she went home this week because it was an olivia rodrigo song and she was up there dancing and booty shaking and that's not what the song is olivia rodrigo is you know the emo alt girl of the moment but regardless, and then Deja, you know, just has been like solidly middle of the road. Her runways have been bad, which is shocking considering she's a seamstress. And uh, it was just, her, it was just time. It was time for both of them and they're gone and that's great. So now we have a top five that is kind of almost anyone's game. Like Angeria and uh, Lady Camden both have two wins. Bosco has three wins. Diabetti has a win and Willow Pill has a win. So based on numbers, like Daya and Willow should be up on the chopping block, but I feel like Willow has been much more memorable in her runways and performance and in her overall presence on the show than um, Angeria kind of has. Like Angeria is very much faded into the background. Like I said, her runways have been very pageanty in that like they're very samey. That they're like, oh, this is a very pretty gown that she's going to make fit the theme. Um, like this week, the theme was tutu or ballet or something like that. So everyone was wearing tutus and there was a lot of creative interpretation. Bosco came out dressed as a chainsaw where the chain, like the chainsaw was the ballet tutu. That was very creative. Um, Lady Camden, not hugely creative, but just perfectly done um, ballet fantasy tutu with like rhinestone appliques on her skin, just absolutely gorgeous. And Willow Pill came out dressed as kind of like a very cartoony Amanda Lepore kind of character with giant lips and opera glasses and a huge uh, full tutu as a skirt. So like some in creative interpretations. And then you just had like Angeria who wore a pageant gown with like some tool on it and called it a tutu. And it was not a tutu. It just wasn't. Um, so I'm kind of bored with her fashion and her looks. And even though I think that she does very well in challenges, it's clearly not well enough that the producers have been favoring her. Like, honestly, I thought she should have won the girl group challenge. Um, and I don't know why she didn't, to be completely honest. Um, that's the challenge. And, and the, except for the fact that they needed Diabetti to win it for the sake of storyline. Um, but other than other than like producer manipulation like to me there was no reason angeria should not have won that episode i thought she was fantastic and that's kind of been my issue with a lot of this season is that to me the challenges have been owned very much by angeria and by willow like they willow only won one episode and it was the first episode that everyone was in episode three but to me willow should have won almost or could have won most of these episodes um so i don't know it's just it's it's been a very odd season and to me like the more and I, i've mentioned this before the more the series goes on the more obvious the producer manipulation and like the fact that this is a very scripted series like maybe the girls themselves aren't scripted but like the overarching plot and like the eliminations and the challenges and like we got the golden ticket finally last week with Bosco. Bosco was eliminated and then had the golden ticket um, or the golden chocolate bar, which was that she got to stay, which was again, was why there was no elimination last week. And like, we know that was fake. Like that wasn't real. Bosco didn't actually have a, a 
gold chocolate bar. They were waiting for the correct moment to use it because I'm sorry, like the odds are stacked against you that a person you really want to save and who saving serves the storyline well is going to have the, the golden chocolate bar. Do you know what I mean? Like they were clearly using it for storyline and like Bosco was a heavy favorite, had a bad week um, and needed to be saved. And so they did Do you, like, I'm under no illusion that that was real. Okay. It was not. Um, so like, but like with that and with, I don't know, like the order the challenges are happening. The fact that like this last week was a rusical, but they didn't sing live. And like, that's always iffy to me that like, if they do sing live, it's because they know that the producers know there is a singer in the cast who they want to highlight and have win a challenge or there are multiple singers and they want to have them duke it out. And if they do like season six with the shade, the rusical between Courtney and Adore, and if they lip sync the rusical, it's because they have performers that they want to highlight and no one who can really sing and who's going to blow it out of the water. There was no live singing. So that's what happened last week and that that gave lady camden a shot of adrenaline and a leg up in the competition and it also served a storyline because it put bosco in the bottom and let them use the golden ticket so like i don't know i i think the longer the show goes on the more i can see these things happening behind the scenes and the less i enjoy the show because i know what's happening like as soon as this past week they announced there was a bottom three and that it was uh georgia stasia sky and diabetti as soon as they said that, I was like, okay, it's going to be a double elimination because there's no way they could really decide or when, or when they said that it was going to be a double elimination, I was like, okay, it's going to be Deja and Georges because there's no way they were letting Diabetti go when they're giving her the villain edit. You know, like in season four, Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe O'Hara probably should not have made it to the finale, but she did because her storyline was that she was the villain and could the villain potentially win it all and that's evidenced by the fact that at the season four finale they taped a crowning of sharon needles a crowning of chad michaels and that's it they did not tape fifi's crowning so fifi knew she was not going to win people at the taping knew she wasn't going to win and she was only there to serve a storyline or to or for a story's purpose so like I knew Di I know Diabetti is probably going to be in the top four. And if if I mean she's already in the top five, and who knows what they're gonna do this next episode, if they're gonna make it a if they're gonna have everyone go on to the finale, because Lord knows they don't they like episodes where no one goes home. If they're going to um, eliminate one person, if they're gonna eliminate two people to do a final three, I don't know. But I can imagine Diabetti could potentially be in whatever that finale episode is, and most likely will be in whatever that finale is, whether it's a top three, four, or five. Um, are they going to have it come down to like, I don't know. I, it depends on what the final challenge is. And I think it's like a typical like remix, you know, they're going to be like writing verses and I can see Daya lady and Daya Betty and lady Daya Betty and lady Camden. Oh, sorry. I don't know why that had a brain fart doing well. In that, I can see Bosco maybe doing well. I can see Willow maybe doing well. Like, I think the only person maybe at a disadvantage in this episode based on what we've seen so far would be Angeria. Um, so it'd be interesting to see, like, 
as the only queen of color in the top five, what they do with Angeria at that point. Um, and, you know, Jada just won in season 12 as a pageant queen who showed a lot of versatility. Would they give it to another? Would they put Angeria in the finale or, may, or would she win another season so close to Jada? I don't, you know, there's a lot that goes into like, I think that for storyline purposes, it's probably going to be a Bosco Willow Pill top two. But that's just my feelings based on what I've seen the producers going for so far this season. I don't, I don't know. Um, but like, like all of this all together is to say that like, I don't really enjoy watching this show very much when I can see the production behind the scenes shit, when I can see the wheels in motion. And it's why I haven't really talked a whole lot about this particular season 14 It's because of that. Um, but then I also don't like what UK versus the world did where like RuPaul and what all stars does where RuPaul puts queens in the bottom and then it's left up to the contestants to decide because then like those queens get hate from the fandom. They make decisions that I think are based on selfish interests like blue hydrangea eliminating Pangina heels on UK versus the world Pangina eliminating Jimbo and lemon. Like you can't tell me that wasn't strategic to get rid of someone that they think is strong competition. Um, and then we end up with like, I liked blue just fine. I thought she did okay on that show, but then she won and did, and for my money didn't really do that much, you know, any regardless, like I don't really like that format either. So I, I, there needs to be a switch in the format of drag race of all stars of all this. Cause like, this is a very long season and it feels very long because of the non-eliminations and like, Oh, coming back to my point, there have been seasons where I don't think, where I think that this kind of production may be warranted, where I would love to see more. Like I've harped about how I think season six is the greatest season of the show. And like, if they could have done a season six of drag race where they did this, where there were like 15 episodes and half those episodes, no one went home and we just got to see more and more of these girls. I would have been in fucking heaven to see more Bianca, more Adore, more Courtney, more Ben de la Creme, more Trinity K. Bonet, more Jocelyn Fox, and to like to get to a point where some of the early outs that I liked so much maybe um, did not go home. Like I would have absolutely loved it, you know, because like there are, there have been such strong seasons. Like I would have loved to see more of Laganja, although she was having a bit of a nervous breakdown that season, so maybe not. Um, but I would have loved to see more Kelly Mantle. She was in one episode, and Kelly Mantle's a fucking drag legend. You know, I would have loved to see just like what Ben de la Creme would have done with more, what Courtney and Adore and Bianca would have done with more. Um, even Gia, like what Gia Gunn and Milk, who was so weird, what they would have done with more time, more episodes. I think it would have been so much fun. Um, but this particular season, like, I'm not taken by a lot of the queens like i said i've done a full 180 and i love willow pill i think she is quirky and fun and his, and very funny and has a very unique and smart drag style and is like her lip sync against bosco in the Lollapalooza was sexy and well thought out and perfect for the song and just her fashion is so strange and perfect like i will never forget the 50s housewife dress with the house on her head. Just, she's just so smart and I love her. And I would never have predicted that her episode one because I did not like her in the first episode. Um, 
Although my opinions on episode one were not unjustified because Willow and Bosco are the only ones left from that episode. And um, Orion came back and went home. Cornbread was eliminated. I would love to know what the season would have been like with 15 episodes and Cornbread still there. Like, I wonder if this would have been a very different top five slash seven. Like, would Georgia's have gone home much earlier as she should have because Cornbread would have sent her home or would Bosco have these wins or would Cornbread have some of them? Like which wins would Cornbread potentially have taken from these other Queens? Would Willow be doing better because her best friend at the time was Cornbread and Cornbread lifted her up? I don't know. Like to me, that's also a reason this season has a big asterisk over it is because I think that Cornbread would have gone all the way to the finale and she was gone in episode four or five because of an injury. Um, Regardless, that the only two queens from that episode that I reviewed on the podcast in depth are Bosco and Willow Pill. And the others were early outs. Like, June Jambalaya is the first official elimination. Alyssa was the second official elimination. Um, Orion, the third official elimination. And then Cornbread withdrawn this episode. So, like, Bosco and Willow have been repping this first group of girls the whole season. Um, so maybe my opinions weren't unjustified. But regardless, like, I, I've i really come around to Willow in particular, and even Bosco. Like, I enjoy watching her as the narrator, even though her drag doesn't thrill me. And even though I think that she's being propped up quite a bit by production and by storyline. Um, where I forget where I was going with this. Regardless, next week is the final full challenge, or this coming week, this Friday, is the final full challenge. And then we'll be down to... A final episode, I guess. I don't know what the reunion situation is. I don't know if the finale is April 15th or 22nd, depending on if we get a reunion slash um, where are they now behind the scenes, some type of weird shit. Like, remember last year they kept doing, like, the Queens and Corona and, like, that kind of shit. Maybe we're getting one of those. I don't know. Um, But the finale is finally coming up after seven years. We are finally getting the finale of season 14 of Drag Race very soon. And um, I'm curious to know who will win because like I said, I don't think it's a very obvious win no matter who is in the top. So I think it could go to pretty much anyone at this point except maybe Diabetti uh, because her reception amongst the fans has been very polarizing. And uh, I think there would be quite a bit of uproar if she wins unless she is very much clearly far and away the best in the final challenge or two so i don't know let's watch and see when the finale final episodes of rupaul's drag race air um in the next few fridays at eight o'clock on vh1 are you ready for an unpopular opinion because i got it bitch so um the first episode of moon knight which is the new marvel series on disney plus aired this last week and there was a lot of hype around it's been advertised for weeks it's like if you watch anything on abc or an abc network abc owned network it's had that little thing in the corner taking up half the screen um saying that it's coming soon or that it's now streaming whatever um and you know it's a marvel property so of course there's been a big fanfare around it and it's been long anticipated and all that kind of shit And uh, the first episode was released this past week on March 30th, and I hated it. (laughs) Can you believe it? Um, 
so the popular consensus on the internet and amongst reviewers is that Moon Knight was good. I disagree. And part of this is because I have um, no idea who or what Moon Knight is. I never read a Moon Knight comic book. I I had never even heard of Moon Knight until uh, Marvel announced that they were making this series last year or the year before. So I have no attachment to this character. So I was actually looking forward very much to watching this show because I knew nothing about this character. And that's not really ever the case, I feel like, for these movies. Because, like, even... Like, I don't think it's been since Guardians of the Galaxy where I've gone in completely blind to one of these uh, Marvel properties. I mean, Captain Marvel I had never read or or Miss Marvel, but I had read the Kamala Khan Miss Marvels before the Captain Marvel came out. So I kind of like had an idea of the relation, but regardless. Um, because I knew nothing about this character, I was looking forward to kind of experiencing Marvel through the eyes of people who are unfamiliar with these characters and with these origin stories and all that. And I was supremely let down first of all a whole ass episode aired and i don't know who or what the fuck moon knight is we did not get a glimpse of moon knight until the final seconds of the episode and now if this was a two-part premiere and i could go right into episode two i would be fine with that if this was a movie and this was the end of act one, I would be fine with that. But this was episode one of a TV series. And and as a pilot slash first episode of a TV series, that's a big no for me. Because it does not give me much reason to look forward to episode two. Like in theory, I guess like leaving on this cliffhanger of like, what the fuck is that? Who is that? I don't understand should make the person be like, well, I want to find out, so I'm going to come back next week. The problem is, that's how I feel about literally everything that happened in this episode, is that nothing, and I mean literally nothing, is explained or even kind of hinted at in this episode. So, like, you really have zero clue what is going on zero clue okay so like all right i'm going to try to describe what i think this first episode was about ready okay so we meet stephen grant who is played by oscar isaac from uh star wars the new star wars shit and a bunch of other stuff that i can't think of off the top of my head um who works at a gift shop at an Egyptian, maybe it's an Egyptian museum. I don't know if it's an Egyptian museum or if it's like a museum where there happens to be an Egyptian like display. Regardless, he works at a gift shop at a museum in London. And he chains himself to his bed every night. We don't know why at the beginning. So he goes to sleep one night and then wakes up in a different country unchained from his bed and goes to this little village town and witnesses like Ethan Hawke 
who has a tattoo of the scales of justice that when he touches people, they move and he judges them. Um, or someone who has possessed him judges them. I don't fucking know. And if they, if the tattoo deems that they are a good person, they live. If it's a bad person, they die. Um, and apparently the scales see all and can even, you know, deem things that are going to happen in the future, whatever. And he then gets chased through this town in an ice cream truck, I think it is, or like a food truck, because he has a scarab in his pocket that he does not remember stealing. And then as he is trying to escape, he hears this like booming voice in his head, which is F. Murray Abraham, Oscar winner, nominee. I forget for Amadeus. He might have won. I don't remember. Anyway. Um, like, and then he has blackouts and then wakes up moments later having like killed people or escaped dangerous situations and has having this conversation with this voice in his head um, and then wakes up back in his home, still chained to the bed. And it's like, oh, thank God, it was just a crazy fucking dream. But then like little things are wrong. Like um, his goldfish is not his goldfish. It's a different goldfish. And like three days have gone by that he's been asleep and he's missed a date with a girl that he's been in love with and hoping to ask out for a long time and all this other stuff. Um, he then finds a phone hidden in his apartment and someone named Lana, Lara, Layla, something, L-A, some, Laura, Lana, Laura, Layla, something like that, um, has a bunch of missed calls, picks up, talks to her, and she calls him Mark. So then he goes to work the next day and Ethan Hawke is there and confronts him and says that he works for um, the Egyptian goddess Amit, who I am not familiar with. That was not part of my sixth grade Egypt mythology lessons. Um, and then he summons this jackal from the depths of hell to attack Stephen at the museum and then it corners him in a restroom and all these mirrors, he sees Mark, who is himself, in the mirror saying, let me take over so that I can help. And he allows Mark to take over and he becomes, I guess, Moon Knight and kills the Jackal. That's the first episode. I have so many questions. Um, what the fuck being number one? Um, Huh? Being number two and why? Being number three. I am just, I'm very, okay. Who is Moon Knight? I still don't, what is Moon Knight? Is Moon Knight a moniker? Is Moon Knight a person? Is Moon Knight an idea? Is like Moon Knight one character and then like he possesses the bodies of different people is there one body is moon knight the body and then different people become moon knight are mark and steven the same person do they share like the disney plus screen says that they share a body i didn't get that from this i just get that like maybe it's like a dissociative identity disorder and it's like they're actually one person or i don't know are they actually multiple people is because we is moon knight a god i don't fucking know 
is Ethan Hawke a god? I don't fucking know. Uh, like, there are no, there's nothing answered by this episode. A bunch of weird shit happens, and by the end of the episode, more weird shit is happening. So, like, what the fuck is this show? It's six episodes, and at the end of one of them, I still don't know what I'm watching. And this is so frustrating to me. And I have this problem with a lot of Marvel TV series. Like, my whole issue with Loki, aside from the fact that it bored the shit out of me, is that it was convoluted as fuck. So is Moon Knight. Hawkeye. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. These shows, like, I enjoyed watching them, but they did not need to exist because at the end of the day, they did nothing to advance these plots or to advance these characters, really, within this Marvel universe. Like, the only thing so far that this is doing is showing us that Oscar Isaac is really good at creating multiple characters. It's introducing, I guess, this idea of, like, mythology being real, which, like, I guess goes along with the idea of, like, Eternals, which I fucking hated that movie. And um, Shang-Chi, like, in a way, I guess. So maybe that's part of it. That, like, we're, it's just further introducing this idea of, like, mythology and gods as being normal, quote-unquote in this world of superheroes and it's introducing i guess this character of moon knight who's going to maybe be in movies later i don't know i don't understand this show and like it was cool like there were some great action sequences like the stops and starts and within the escape scene from wherever the countryside that uh steven woke up in that was super fun as an action sequence and like there was some gore which was kind of nice to see in a marvel slash disney plus series um ethan hawk wow like goddamn man you got ethan hawk f murray abraham and oscar isaac all in one show sign me up like i'm down for all of this but i need to know what is going on like i am just very 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 confused and like to the point that i looked up the show on wikipedia and there's like a lot of stuff that is comic book related but i'm trying to avoid reading that stuff because i like i said i want to watch the show with fresh eyes like as if i don't know what's going on because i don't know what's going on um and i want to give marvel and you know whatever a chance to like tell a story that I'm unfamiliar with because that doesn't happen for me because I grew up reading these comic book characters. So I don't want to read into it much, but also like I'm just so lost after one episode to the end, lost to the point that like, I'm not like anxiously awaiting episode two to see what happens. I'm just kind of pissed off that I watched episode one. Like, I really wish that I would have just waited until more episodes were available so I could binge. And, like, had I known that this would have been a cliffhanger, confusing ending, I for sure would have. Um, so I, I'm definitely going to watch episode two because I need to know what's going on. I'm And not because, like, I am, like I said, because I'm excited. Because I'm just very confused. 
And that's coming from someone who at one point wanted to be an Egyptologist. I think we all did at one point, right? Like I was in middle school and we did the whole Egypt unit in sixth grade history, social studies, whatever it was. And like, that was the same year the mummy came out, the remake with Brendan Fraser. So I think like everyone my age wanted to be an Egyptologist at some point. So I'm just going to throw that out there as well. But regardless, like, I find Egyptian history and mythology fascinating. So I want to watch this and I'm curious about how this all works together, but I'm also really annoyed. And I'm also just really annoyed because I fan fans of comic books of these companies of Marvel and DC are so indiscriminate. I think is maybe the word are so undiscerning when it comes to content. They fucking love everything. And I feel like such a ridiculous outlier on this because I did not like this episode and everyone else did. Like it has a, I think it's like an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment. And Twitter was losing its mind on Wednesday when the episode came out and fucking loved it. And I'm sitting there like, what, what, what am I missing? And I think it's just, I'm missing the fact that like, I'm not a crazy fanboy. Like, I can be critical of these things, even when they're things I grew up with. Like, Batman is my all-time favorite superhero. I grew up with Batman from when I was, like, two. You know, I've every iteration of Batman I've watched multiple times and enjoyed most of them. But I can be critical and say that Christian Bale's Batman is the worst Batman. Sorry a fucking about it. Like, I can watch Batman versus Superman and say, objectively, this is not good. So, why can't other people do that. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, I feel like Marvel's kind of getting a free pass in a lot of ways to do whatever they want because the fans are going to love it no matter what. And we're moving in a really strange direction, which I know that's what the comics are. They're weird. With Marvel, with, like, you know, Spider-Man Home, No Way Home introducing the multiverse, and now Doctor Strange is going to be exploring it further with uh, WandaVision starting that as well. And now we have Moon Knight, like, potentially going into the realm and Eternals going into the realm of uh, mythology and gods and goddesses and how that works in the world. And it's just, it's getting very convoluted. And I want, and then we have space. Like, this is this is nothing of space, of, like, Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor and shit like that, which I don't think, I guess, mythology has always been a part of the Marvel Universe with Thor, regardless. Now we're, it's not just Norse, now we're working in Egypt and um, Chinese mythology and all that shit. So, regardless, like, we're heading in what I am thinking of as a precarious direction for Marvel, because at some point it's going to get to the point where it's going to be too much either too confusing or too stupid for a lot of viewers. And I wish that Marvel would take note from viewers like me, who at the moment are just kind of um, very, uh, not disengaged, but disengaged, who are like not receiving some of these new characters and storylines and themes and arcs as well as they're like diehards who will just jerk off and watch everything. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's, that's my unpopular opinion of the first episode of Moon Knight. Again, this doesn't seem, it's not a bad, sh it doesn't seem like a bad show. It just seems like a very poor introduction to this character and this plot. Like I can see this, like maybe once I start answering questions, this will be very entertaining and fun and all that. But like, it's been an entire episode and that didn't happen. So who knows? Um, 
but new episodes are dropping every Wednesday on uh, Disney Plus through uh, May 5th, maybe? Something like that? I don't know. Fourth? First week of May. Whatever that first Wednesday in May is, that's the finale. It's six episodes. Oh, God. I need coffee. It's 9.30 a.m. and I haven't had any yet. Goodbye. Coming up this week, on Monday, HBO debuts a new documentary series called The Invisible Pilot. On Wednesday, Hulu is dropping the second season of The Hardy Boys. On Thursday, we get season three on HBO Max of Close Enough, the animated series. On Friday, season two of Woke releases on Hulu, season five of Elite on Netflix, and season two of the iCarly reboot drops on Paramount+. And then on HBO, we have the return of a Black Lady sketch show. On Saturday, the CW's uh, Saturday Night Lineup returns with what I with uh, Masters of Illusion season eight, and a brand new series called Would I Lie to You. And then on Sunday, AMC is premiering the new drama Sixty First Street. For finales, the final episodes of The Dropout on Hulu, uh, Central Park, Severance, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, all on Apple TV Plus. Um, Undercover Boss ends its season on CBS. Um, the Walking Dead finishes up on AMC and Billions on show t- on Showtime. And then the series finale of Killing Eve airs on Sunday night. My recommendation for the week, I am I was so over the moon with this movie. Um so it's the movie is better Nate than ever on Disney Plus. It just came out on Friday. I it's based on a book series that I absolutely loved. I read them a few years ago and uh they're written by Tim Fetterly, who is a former Broadway performer who has also written um Broadway a Broadway musical in Tuck Everlasting. He uh currently is I believe the showrunner and he's been a writer and director on High School Musical, the musical, the series. He is also going to be directing Sister Act 3 when that starts production for Disney+. Plus. He co-wrote Ferdinand, um, the animated movie. And he's also an author of books. And he wrote this series of middle grade books, which middle grade is kind of like tween books. Like they're not children's books, but they're not young adult books. And uh, it was the Nate series. And the first book was Better Nate Than Ever. And then it was Five, Six, Seven, Nate. And uh, Nate Expectations was the trilogy. And he's also written um, some, like, cocktail books. Like, he's the one who wrote Tequila Mockingbird. And um, what's the Are You There, God? It's Me, Margarita. Uh, And he wrote a young adult book called uh, what The Great American, whatever I think it's called. And I love him. He is... He's acerbic and he's funny and these Nate books were so uh, exuberant and queer without like being explicitly queer and just accepting and positive and wonderful and I loved him federally. And this particular movie is on Disney Plus and could not really have come at a better time for Disney as I'm sure we all know they are under a whole lot of fire or were under a whole lot of fire for supporting a bunch of politicians who uh, backed this don't say gay bill that was just signed into law this past week. Um, So to have a very LGBTQ plus focused story um, with a very positive 
but not very explicit queer message I thought was wonderful. Like there's no scene in this movie or in any of the books until the third one where Nate discusses his own sexuality or where Nate's sexuality is explicitly discussed discussed, or where gender identity is discussed, but it's very much about that feeling of being an outsider and be, and like that queer kids always have of like being embarrassing or having interests that no one else has. So they feel humiliated by that or they feel ostracized for it. It touches on like being bullied and how bullies can sometimes be people who are feeling the same way that we are. Um, It's about being an outcast. It's about internalizing a lot of this. It's about like having dreams that people make fun of. And it's about liking things that people don't think are normal, like musical theater. And it's just it the way it's um, portrayed in the movie is for as an adult who went through those feelings and who had those feelings is very cathartic to see a young boy um, openly being that thing that so many of us hid is cathartic and see, and as always happens with things like this, seeing Nate be accepted by his family and um, turning his, um, humiliation and embarrassment and all that into a positive is very emotional and again cathartic for adult viewers and I think this movie in particular will also please a lot of young viewers a lot of ch- a lot of child viewers or young adult viewers so The story of Better Nathan Ever is a 13-year-old boy from Pittsburgh whose name is Nate and who loves musical theater, does not get cast in the lead role in his school musical and is crushed. But then he finds out that they're having open auditions for a stage adaptation of Lilo and Stitch the musical in New York City. And he and his best friend Libby decide to run away from home to go audition and to finally see New York and to like fulfill their New York City dreams. So... Everything serendipitously works out that they can get away without getting in trouble. And they end up in New York. They end up at an open call and hijinks ensues. And Nate runs into his aunt Heidi, who is his hero because she was in a Broadway show years ago and that ran for three weeks and she made it. And he so looks up to her and they run into her and it's played by Lisa Kudrow. And while they're in New York, like it, it keeps getting increasingly more ridiculous. He keeps auditioning and, getting callbacks and the closer his dream gets, the more he wants it, but also the more he needs to reconcile kind of with his brother and with his friends and with himself a lot. And it's just, it's really beautiful. There's a lot of like influences of home alone. There's a lot of slapstick. There's a lot of like physical comedy and, for if you're a theater gay, there are a lot of inside jokes about like Wicked and not even inside jokes because I feel like everyone knows Wicked, but a lot of jokes about like Wicked and West Side Story. And it's just, it's a really positive, sweet movie. It's very funny. It's super breezy. It's surprisingly emotional from an adult perspective, like I was saying. And I just, it's one of those movies that I feel like it's very rare. And in a lot of ways, I understand 
Disney adults because of this. Like, I don't, trust me, I don't understand the obsession with Disney World. I mentioned last week, I just got back from Disney World and it is the eighth circle of hell. I don't understand people who love to go there. I don't understand people who go there four times a year. I don't understand people who spend their life savings to go. I don't get it. Um, I, I hate the place of Disney. It was not great <laughs> for me. Um, but I kind of understand people who love Disney as a company and as a form of entertainment as adults, because like what better Nathan ever does wonderfully for me is that it hits on nostalgia, which we all know I am a nostalgia machine. Um, it hits on nostalgia while also being current and entertaining enough for, um, for current young adults or for current tweens and kids. Like it's flashy enough and fast enough that kids won't get bored. It's, um, it has enough of like the TikTok edge and, you know, Joshua Bassett from High School Musical, the musical, the series is in it. So I feel like like young adults, like 13 to 16, it has enough for them. But then it's also like, it's got stuff for the adults. Like it has Lisa Kudrow and it has this very inclusive, queer, positive message and and themes. And I, I mean, it, it has, for if you're a Broadway person, there's a lot of insider that like the Nate's parents are played by Norbert Leo Butts and Michelle Federer who met and got married after starring in Wicked together in 2004. She was Nessa Rose. He was the original Fiero. Um, it has a lot of cameos by Broadway folks. Like Brooks Ashmanskis plays the casting director. And it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's racially diverse and also um, diverse in terms of its LGBTQ representation. Um, it's just, like I said, it's just an all around, it is, a, it, it's, there's something in it for everyone and it's nostalgic, but also current. It is positive, but also, um, somewhat real. Like I, my favorite scene of the whole thing is like, is Nate and Libby getting on this bus from Pittsburgh to New York. And they have these dreams of like what New York is going to be. And like, we hear Nate listening to the, uh, on Broadway, but then like having this image of like how wonderful Broadway is going to be, but then getting to New York and it's like the honking horns and they're getting shoved out of the way at Port Authority with someone muttering like Taurus under their breath, which I'm that person. I'm that person who shows through the people staring up at the buildings. I'm like, God, my way <laughs> when I'm in New York and like rats, running around and trash everywhere like it's very much like their dream but like juxtaposed with the reality so it's like it's hopeful but also realistic in a lot of ways i mean it is very much still a fantasy that you know nate would go viral on tiktok and then also get a part in a broadway show all within like 48 hours um but wh whatever and so i I get that aspect of, a, of Disney adults that like, this is pure escapist, nostalgic sweetness. Um, and it's currently streaming only on Disney plus. And like I said, it's come out at a perfect time for Disney because they're facing a lot of shit for how they responded to this. Don't say gay bill. And this kind of shows the work that they're trying to do, whether it's like vocally or just in the content they're putting out. Um, 
Disney Plus offers an opportunity for them to do this kind of material and to make it available to a wide audience and to children without it, without them. So maybe this is actually a little bit of a negative without them being like, we, this is where we stand. I would like them to take more of a stand or a stance um, on governor DeSantis and his big bag of bullshit and also on this particular bill that is now law. And I would like to see actual queer representation at Disney and within the Disney ranks, because as we saw last week with the walkout um, of Disney employees, there are a lot of queer people who work for Disney. And then, you know, thinking about this movie, Tim Federley is one of them. We, he has Better Nate Than Ever. He has High School Musical, The Musical, The Series, which that has won Glad Awards is, featured, I, I believe, Disney's first Queer Kiss. We have now Better Nate Than Ever, um, starring Ruby Wood as Nate, who is very gender expansive in his um, in his everyday life. I do not know specifically what his gender representation is, but Tim Federley has been using he, him pronouns for Ruby Wood in interviews, so I'm going to use he, him pronouns as well. But then if you look at Ruby's social media, it's a lot of like, in basically in drag which is beautiful and wonderful with like long nails and um and makeup but still using he and pronouns and like that is very i feel like typical of big personality um young people and again high school musical the musical the series stars joshua bassett who is also plays nate's brother in this movie who has come out as part of the lgbtq plus community not explicitly which letter of the acronym but has identified as part of the community and that's enough right um and then tim federally himself who is not only helmed better nathan ever but also high school musical the musical the series and has sister act three and and apparently is very um i don't want to say worthwhile but valuable to Disney going forward, that they have put a lot of um, energy and trust in him to do right by these like beloved franchises like High School Musical and like Sister Act. And then, you know, even beyond that, like people that we don't typically think of, quote unquote, like we don't typically think of, but that often get ignored in like animators and cast members at the parks. Like think about any of those people that you see like when you're getting on a ride, like when I was at Disney World um, and we went to Hollywood Studios and did the Millennium Falcon ride thing. It's not really a ride. Um, and like there's a cast member who just has to explain like what you're about to do when you get into like your little pod or whatever. And like the guy that we had explained it to us was like very clearly a gay man <laughs> like he saw me and pointed out and was like oh he's family i'm gonna pick on this bitch and like tried to read me and all kinds of like was just he's family you know what i mean like it was very he, he had a, and even you know what i'm judging even if he wasn't gay um was presentationally as such but you know like obviously there are going to be a lot of people who work at disney who are part of the lgbtq plus community so seeing this kind of representation and backing this kind of content, I think, and this movie coming out this particular week when this was signed into law, I think is does Disney a little bit of a favor. And I want to see more from Disney like 
this. I want I want them to turn the next two books into movies. I want to see them ASAP because this was so cute. I fucking loved it. It was funny. I laughed out loud a few times. It was so cute. And Tim Federley really did justice to his own book. And I also highly recommend the books, the the Nate series, starting with Better Nate Than Ever, which this movie was based on. Five, six, seven, Nate is the sequel. And then Nate Expectations was the conclusion. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fake TV Critic. I'll be back next week with more news, more recaps, more analyses, and more recommendations. Have a good week, everyone.